welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. What I want to share with you today are the reflections and stories and questions that have grown in me as I have chewed on just a single phrase of scripture. And as we spend our time together, um, periodically I'm going to throw out some questions that are just for your reflection. They're deep questions, they're big questions, you're not supposed to know the answer necessarily right away, and probably maybe just only one or two over the course of our time will be those ones that stick with you. I'm going to take these out. Um, And uh, so anyway, just so you know that's coming, maybe you want to just hold one in your heart that really stands out. My hope for you today is that you'll find yourself in my stories and that you will be led to see in a deeper way God's goodness to you in your life. So let's begin with the scripture. Um, I'm going to read you the whole story just so you have the context, but I really do want you just to focus in on the last part, the last phrase, which is Mary's response to the angel. Um, I think you'll see it on the screen. Here it is. It's Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. May it be done to me according to your word. Now, in a couple other translations, this sounds like, May everything you have said about me come true. Let everything you have said happen to me. Be it unto me according to your word. And from the message, Mary said, Yes, I see it all now. I am the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me, just as you say. And then my own combination as it has grown in me over the last several years is, be it unto me, just as you say. So this phrase first began to do a work in me when I was smack in the middle of a seven-year journey with infertility. Now I know in a room this size, in a room really of any size, we have a wide array of experiences around having babies. Starting at this place could be painful and scary for you. It could be joyful for you to have me talk about this. It could be interesting. It could be not even on your radar at all. But I want to find a way for us to come around this idea of fertility in a common way 
because fertility in the broad sense, in the heart sense, actually has a lot to do with our story and what we're talking about today. So let me describe some of what infertility felt like in my emotional world, and let's see if any of this sounds familiar to you. When I was infertile, I felt as if I had lost control over my body, over my emotional life, over my ability to shape my future by my choices. I felt at the mercy of forces outside of me. I felt at times eaten up by my want and my lack and my inability to get what I wanted and then at other times eaten up by my fear and my self-doubt that I even deserved or could handle getting what I wanted in the first place. Does that sound more familiar? Yeah, pretty common. Have you ever felt powerless? Have you ever been in a season of want? Have you ever felt like your life was not producing any life? If so, and I assume so, then you understand. So in that place, in that season of my life, I went to see my spiritual director. And she did this thing that she did every time, which is she would choose one passage of scripture and she would read it several times in a row while I would sit in this little chair with my feet on this soft, comfy little stool and I would close my eyes and the words would just kind of wash over me. And this particular day, what she read was this passage that I just read to you. And as I listened, something was being named for me. And I knew that this, this prayer that I had been longing to pray, that my spirit had been longing to pray, was, be it unto me, just as you say. So when I left there, this prayer, be it unto me, just as you say, became my breath prayer. Now, uh, if you have not heard what a breath prayer is, it's kind of a, it's a prayer, it's a phrase that you repeat over and over throughout your day like a mantra while you go to work, while you take a shower, while you cook the food, while you walk from the store to the car, you just repeat it over and over so it makes grooves in you. So that's what this prayer became for me, my breath prayer. Now, here's what I need you to understand. I was not praying. God, give me a baby or don't give me a baby. It's up to you. That really wasn't what my heart was praying. Because at that time in my life, I could not stomach at all the idea that perhaps there's even a slight chance that God might be a baby giver. Because I thought, if God's a baby giver, then God might be a baby taker, or a baby withholder, or a reckless deity who put children in the homes of people who abuse and neglect them. And I just couldn't be in conflict with God because I needed God just to get through the day. So I just sort of set those thoughts over here. And in the end, my rightness, my wrongness of my theological thinking really mattered not at all. Um, and my fear and even my avoidance to grapple with those things um, actually led me to pray the prayer that I really needed to pray. So when I was praying, be it unto me, just as you say, I was praying, Oh God, my life, its length, its meaning, my generativity, not as a body merely, but as a person. What is mine to take into my being? What you have for me to give to the world? In all these things, God, be it unto me, just as you say. Now this prayer did not begin the day I, I prayed it out loud. 
most prayers, most game-changing prayers don't. We have a series of encounters and experiences that lead us to these moments where we are able to finally say aloud to God the core of the matter. Um, and so, for me, I think this prayer actually began a year before when I had my own encounter with the angel. I got your attention, didn't I? <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> so let me explain. Uh, angels are messengers from God. They carry God's words, God's messages, to God's people. Steve helped me with this. He said, an angel is like an email from God. And our response to the angel is like our response or our email back to God. One of my central theological beliefs is that God is at all times speaking to, with, and within creation. And so I want to propose that we are encountering angels far more often than we think. Because we're encountering God's messages far more often than we think. Now you've had these moments. It's these moments where everything extraneous falls away and everything comes into focus and time stands still and suddenly you know something. It happens in the middle of a conversation with a friend, you hear a line of music, you see an expression on someone's face, you read something in a book, you hear a line in a movie. You could probably add to this list where you've had these moments where you thought maybe I think I, I think I just heard God. I think I, I think I just met God. You've had these moments. Now, maybe it is fair to say that these encounters are angels, and maybe it's not. It's fun for me to call it that. But what they are for sure is this. Eternity has entered our time, and we are asked to hear and respond. That's what those moments are. In the spiritual direction world, we like to call these messages from God invitations. We are taught in our training to wonder what God's invitation might be to us in each of our experiences. As in, in this experience, what is God inviting you to do, to say, to see, to let go of, to pray, to let in? What might God be inviting us to? And might it, in many circumstances, be a lot like what God was inviting Mary to in the story that I just read. Well, nine years ago, on a Celtic pilgrimage to Iona, which is, off the uh, which is part of Scotland, and to Holy Isle, which is off the coast of Northumbria, I encountered a message from God, an invitation from God, or an angel, in the form of an Anglican priest. Now, before the pilgrimage, all of, us who were, all of us who were going on this trip were asked to sign up to fulfill a certain role that might be similar to what would be played by um, ancient Celtic Christians in their community. And so I signed up to be the bard. And a bard is someone who brings poems, blessings, stories at appropriate times to help people uh, deepen or name or redirect their experiences. Now at that time in my life, uh, Steve and I had been trying to get pregnant unsuccessfully for four years without the help of doctors, but with the help of every natural remedy I could get my hands on. And I also had had a six-month failed experiment trying to be a writer that produced absolutely no nothing and let me, left me feeling as if writing really was not what I was called to do at all in the world. Um, on the trip, the priest that I mentioned was one of our guides. 
and what we would do is we would ride from place to place on buses and we would chat with each other on the way in so a couple days into the trip we really had like the basic idea of each other where we lived what we did for a living if we had families etc and so early in the trip we were in the common room in the inn that we were staying in and people were milling around and talking and starting to say goodnight and go up to their rooms and the priest was sitting nearby me and I think maybe we were talking or chatting I don't really remember what I remember is there was this very abrupt moment that felt much too intimate for the relationship actually where he looked straight at me and he said if you want to get pregnant you should go to a doctor no, and you don't sign up to be the bard unless you want to write. So start writing. <laughs> Needless to say, I was a little taken aback. <laughs> and I made a quick retreat to my room. But the next day, we went on this pilgrimage walk. Um, we were on Holy Isle at the time, and Holy Isle is only an island when the tide is in. And when the tide is out, you can actually walk straight across the sand from Northumbria to Holy Island. And Aidan, who is one of my most favorite Celtic saints, would have actually gone to his mission on Holy Island in this way, walking across the sand. And so we were walking in the footsteps of Aidan, my favorite saint, and the wind was blowing. It was just whipping all around. It just felt like it was going to blow right through my body. And I actually began to write my very first poem, which I'm going to read to you now. <laughs> Um, and the reason I'm going to read it is because it is a picture of be it unto me, just as you say, and this actually was my yes, my yes to the invitation um, in my encounter with the angel, my yes to God. This is called Feast Day for the Anniversary of My Death. I have said I would only come out of the cottage on a fine evening to the smell of roses and the music of crickets, only for soft kisses and darkness lit up bright with fireflies and stars. But if the door is locked and the shutter shut, if my eyes are closed and my ears are plugged, how will I know what music the world makes outside my door? So blow, wind, blow on through, pull, moon, tie a rope around my heart, Roll in tide water up to the roof. Spirit, spin me on my axis. I want to be moved. I need to be moved or I'll die. Don't bother to knock. Just blow on in. Scatter the papers stacked neatly on the desk. Tear up the furniture till there's nothing left. Then twirl me up to the rafters on my party, in my party skirt and let us come down with such a thud that our thunder flattens these four walls. On top of the wreckage, we'll lay out a table and pull up some chairs. We'll invite all four winds, the moon and the tide. The earth will give Ferris rides. Cricket serenade, thunder beats the drum. Anything, anything, anything could come. Then you'll kiss me softly and forcefully too. Don't bother to knock. Just blow on through. <laughs> Be it unto me, just as you say. This is about saying yes. This is about opening the doors. 
When I was a little girl, I was really afraid of intruders. I remember this one time I was playing at my friend Tanya's house, and there was a knock on the front door. And I was terrified. She wanted to answer the door, but I made her hide with me instead. And so, you know, after a really long time crouching behind the lazy boy, like way longer than it would take someone to walk away from the door, (laughs) I was still afraid. So I made her pull the shades. And we played in the dark until her mom came home. And her mom said, why is it so dark in here? We cannot talk about the invitations of God without talking about fear. We cannot talk about new life growing in us and being birthed from us without talking about fear. Because where new life is born, so often death precedes it. Intuitively, we know this. And we, most of us, me included, are so afraid of death. And I don't just mean the death that waits at the end of our lives. I mean the deaths that our lives hold. Relationships die. Seasons of life die. Ways of life we become accustomed to die. Abilities die. Certain possibilities die. Think of Mary's story. Her yes to God ushered in a totally different life than she'd had before, and really a totally different life than any she'd ever imagined. So she had a death of her old life, and she also had a death of the life she imagined she would have. She had a very different kind of pregnancy, a very different kind of engagement, a very different kind of reception for her baby. She had a very different kind of son with probably sometimes a difficult-to-swallow mission and certainly a short life. There were some reasons for her to be afraid. Um, Some reasons that the angels said, fear not, that I'm sure had a lot more to do with that than with his shining appearance, his or her. Over the course of my life, I have had a lengthy and repetitive conversation with fear. Some of the fears that have held my life captive are these. I wonder if yours are similar. I won't be able to handle it. If I give anything away, there won't be enough for me. I won't be enough. I will be overwhelmed. I won't be able to stand the pain. I will disappear. When I was about five months pregnant with our twins, I began to have panic attacks. In the middle of the night, I would wake up feeling like I was suffocating. Now, when you're pregnant, there are reasons to be short on air. We, we share our oxygen with lives growing inside of us, life or lives. Um, and as they get bigger, they crush up against your lungs. Um, and at five months, I was like someone who was full-term with one baby. Um, so there are reasons that I was having that experience physically, even though I really was getting enough air. But what would happen is that I would wake up feeling like I was suffocating, and then then fear would pierce me wide awake. And I would think, they are only going to get bigger. And I might not be able to breathe or sleep at all. (laughs) I can be a little dramatic. (laughs) And then my thoughts would start to spin and spin and spin. I would think about what it would be like even though it was what I wished for, even though I was grateful for it, what it would be like to have a one-year-old and twin infants all at the same time. 
and I would be so panicked and so unable to get my breath, I'd have to turn on the light and get up and pace and pray and pace and pray for about two hours before I could get back to sleep. Um, now, the thoughts that we have when we're panicked or the thoughts that we have in the middle of the night even can be really extreme, right? But there was something about this that was true. Something really was about to die. Up to that point, my survival strategies for dealing with my fears had been to withdraw as much as possible into solitude and silence, which I, I love, and um, to try and order my world as much as possible and to keep my commitments to a minimum. These were my survival strategies, and they were about to become unavailable to me. Now, if you've ever had your survival strategies become available to, unavailable to you, no matter how big or small, your technology working, your sugar, your booze, your connection with that one person, your time alone, then you know how unsettling this is and even how life-altering it is. To lose what we use to prop up our lives and help us feel okay and even, that's a death. This is what I needed to know, what I didn't know then, but I know now and what I want you to hear. Death is not the point. Life is the point. At some point or many points in your life, God will take your hand and lead you through death to life. But life is the point. When the twins were born, in the space made by the loss of my old life, new life began to grow. For the very first time in my life, 35 years old, I began to learn that I can handle it. That's big, huh? I will lose my temper. I will lose my equanimity. I will not do it perfectly, but I will handle it. I will make mistakes. I will get overwhelmed. Things will hurt, but I will not disappear, and neither will you. Glorious chaos can bring joy. Uh, silence and solitude, while good, good for me, um, are not the source of life, of peace, of mending. And neither is your survival strategy. God is, and God is available at all times, and in all places, and in all circumstances. So for you, what is the fear? What are you being invited to? What seems to be dying in you or in your life right now? What might be coming to life? What do you hope is coming to life? As I've reflected on this death-to-life journey and what it looks like to say yes to God, I have been pondering the last days of Jesus. When we read the story of Jesus' experience of the cross, what I notice is that we only get to hear his side of the conversation. And it's a great side of the conversation. We get to hear him say, Not my will, but yours be done. Father, forgive them. I thirst. Why have you forsaken me? Into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. And in all of these, I hear Jesus echoing his mother's response to God. Be it unto me, Abba, just as you say. But we don't get to hear what is not recorded 
is what God is saying back to Jesus. And if God speaks to God's people, which I believe God does, we need to believe that God, Abba, was speaking to Jesus during those hours of greatest challenge. Have you ever imagined what God might be saying to Jesus? I have. In my mind, in my imagination, it sounds something like this. Oh, son, hold on. Remember eternity? This is just a moment. This pain will pass. You're doing such a good job. So much good is coming from this. I, I promise. We are almost there. I've got you. I've got you. Hold on. We're almost there. Brennan Manning writes, Though we often disregard our need for un an unfaltering trust in the love of God, that need is the most urgent we have. It is the remedy for much of our sickness, melancholy, and self-hatred. When we start talking about death to life, I think it becomes easy for our minds to go to this question. Will I still follow God if... If what is most precious to me is taken away, if I have to lay down my life like Jesus did, if things get really hard. And I must say, in my mind, this is a most unproductive question. Honestly, this question just makes us afraid. And it makes us like screw up the energy to imagine the absolute worst and still say yes. I don't think that implied in the angel's announcement to Mary is this question, are you willing to have terrible things happen to you and will you still love God if they do? I really don't think so. This is my opinion. But I wonder if implied in the angel's announcement to Mary are these questions from God to her heart. And I wonder if they're the same questions from God to our hearts. Do you trust me? Do you know I'm good? Do you know I love you? Do you know I'm bringing life? Do you want to be a part of it? Jesus was able to do what he did because he trusted his Abba and because every step of his entire life he did in relationship with his Abba. Jesus knew what we so often forget. He knew. Ours is a redemption story. What is broken can be mended. What is poured out can be filled again. What is needed will be provided. Where there is death, there is life. Where there is suffering, there are gifts. In everything a gift. In everything a grace. In everything an invitation. In everything a way to say yes to God. Now I don't know what God's invitation is to you in this season. And you might not know either. That's okay. We just know these things when we know them, right? We can know what God is bringing. This is what I read in the scriptures, and this is what I see. Our loving God is bringing life, always. Presence, redemption, restoration, wholeness, peace, gifts, grace, sustenance, salvation, freedom, healing, good news. God is bringing this for you. And God is intending to bring this through you. So when we pray, be it unto me, 
just as you say, we are praying, God, yes, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of what you're bringing. I can also tell you this with certainty. Some of what God is inviting you to has something to do with the seeds that are already in you, the seeds that were embedded in you when you were made. They are who you are. They are what you were made to be and do. And you may still be discovering what those things are, but that's part of God's invitation to you. Not to let those in, because they're already there, but to make space for them, and to nurture them, and to birth them into the world. When I came home from the Celtic pilgrimage that I told you about, I did find a doctor for us, and we entered what would be the most intense and most painful part of that infertility journey. Near the end of it, I was sitting in a waiting room with Steve, and we were waiting for me to have this procedure that actually would end up leading to my being able to get pregnant with our son Isaac. And while we sat there in the waiting room, I wrote this prayer in my journal that I want to read to you. August 25th, 2006. Jesus, you know what I mean when I say I want to go into today with the doors of my heart wide open, banging on their hinges open, no gripping or grasping or controlling open. And you know what I mean when I ask you to make the space in my heart bigger. You have made it bigger, more spacious, but do it more. Widen me and open me and empty me and free me more so there's more room for you and for the life you want me to hold and live. I need more room for love, for the maps of those I love, more space to breathe in and be in. It is no longer about full versus empty, as in abundance versus scarcity. Now I know it is about my heart being a spacious place, so that I can receive and embrace all that you have for me. You know what I mean when I say I have been the barren woman. I know what it is to have infertility of mind and body and spirit. And truly, you have shown me things in this desert. And I am willing to have you teach me more things in the desert. But I don't want to look back on my life and see a desert. I want to see something alive. I want to see a lush garden. I want to know what it is to be a life bringer. I want to know what it is to have life come through me. I want to know what it is to mother. Now I am in some ways an unlikely person to mother. I am an introvert. I resent interruptions and intrusions and I like to have control of my body and my time and my energy and my environment. But I think the seed that was planted in me when I had that encounter with God in, in, on the Celtic pilgrimage was actually desire. And by the time I was sitting in that waiting room, I was full-term pregnant with desire, not just to have a baby, but to be who I was made to be. Because despite my self-doubts or missteps or the ways I don't fit the picture in my mind of how this should be, I am made, the seeds that are in me, I am made to feed and soothe and create space for growing beings. I'm made to mother souls in my own unique way. And I get to do that as a parent, but I'm called to do that in a broader way. 
When I wrote that prayer, I had at long last become fertile. And I don't mean fertile, small f, I mean fertile. What does fertile ground look like? Think about how that soil looks. It's soft, it's receptive or open, and it has the substance to gently hold something while it grows. In my story, the pain had made me soft, and the desire had made me open, and what I was experiencing about the kindness and constancy of God to us when we are afraid gave me the substance to hold and gently wait to grow what was planted in me. So you, pain can make us hard or soft. What will you let it do to you? Desire can make us open or closed. What will you let it do to you? Fear can make us run away from God or run towards God. What will you let it do to you? After the procedure that I had that day, Steve walked next to me as I was being wheeled to the recovery room. And I was um, still um, waking up from the anesthesia, so what I'm about to share I actually don't remember. But what Steve tells me is that um, as I was talking but not totally awake after this procedure, what I kept saying to him over and over was, I was in a garden. I was in a garden. I was in a garden. Oh my, the gifts of God. Even asleep, God met me where I was and met me where I had prayed. Our yes to God and God's yes to us are simultaneous. Our here I am to God and God's here I am to us are simultaneous. I want to end um, by having us read a prayer together. So if you would stand, um, that would be good. Um, This prayer is, for me, a picture of what on a daily basis it looks like to pray, be it unto me, just as you say. And uh, I'd like you to read it along with me, uh, if you feel comfortable and if it feels true to you only. Okay? All right. Abba, I entrust to you my body, mind, and spirit, and this entire day, morning, afternoon, evening, and night, falling into you, and trusting you in the midst of my life. Amen. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.